Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad you joined us this morning. We teach in series, meaning we take a topic, talk about it for a couple weeks. We've been in this series since the first of the year. This is part five of, of five. If you've missed one of the others, want to hear it again, uh, it's on our, the audio is on our website, <clears throat> as this one will be in a few days. So, what, I'm, what we're going to do today, we're going to review a little bit, uh, remind us of what we've covered, and for new folks, catch up. And then we're going to talk about five, believe it or not, five areas we're going to apply the concepts. So we'll do them quickly and we'll have you out here by just about noon, o'clock, noon 12 o'clock, okay? Uh, that's my uh, commitment to you. So in this series, we've been talking about trying to think different, differently about church and or Christianity. Uh, I love the church. I love the local church. I love this church. I've been a pastor for 40 years. Uh, committed to the church, and Jesus started the church. Now, <clears throat> some of you, maybe most of us, at some point in our life, have pushed back against what we consider the church and or Christianity. <clears throat> and we've said this in this series. Most of the things that you resist about church are things the church should resist. You know, judgmentalism, legalism, um, you know, not, you know, prejudice, just different things that church, uh, bad theology for one thing, uh, things that church have bought into that we shouldn't have. And so we as a church, any church, should resist those things that you probably resisted. Now, if you resist the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and came to earth to suffer and die for your sins, that we can talk about. But all this other stuff, we should probably resist too. So we started off talking about this thing we call the temple model. This kind of crept into Christianity is based on all, basically all religions of the world. Unfortunately, Christianity also, which shouldn't be included in it. And some components of, of the temple model is this. First, you have a holy place. For the Jews, it would be the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, for the Muslims, it would be Mecca and certain, certain places. So, temple model says we have a holy place. That means this place is holier than this place. Now, one of the caveats of that or one of the things we like about that is Say, if this is a holy place, well, I meet God there, but when I leave, I leave God there. So I can kind of do my thing and, leave, and God can leave me alone. But that's temple model. That's not Jesus model. And then we have sacred texts, sacred writings, and for us it's the Bible. And these are things we believe, um, things that, that somehow we've gotten from God, and these are things we should do and, and not do. But <clears throat> most of us, can't interpret that. We're not smart enough, so you have to have some sacred men like me get up in front of you and tell you what all those sacred texts mean, which means I have an awful lot of power, don't I? Because I can tell you, hey, you need to do this if you expect to go to heaven. You need to show up in church every Sunday or God's not going to like you, right? You need to put money in the offering plate or God's not going to like you. God's going to zap you. Basically, we're trying to keep God from zapping us, I think, most of us. That's our goal, right? Um, so, Sacred texts, sacred places, sacred men, and then you have the sincere followers that try and, <laughs> best you can, uh, follow the, the teachings of the teachers. Now, you might say, well, that's, it sounds like the church I grew up in. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we're talking about this, because that is not the church that Jesus started. So, the Jesus model, we're calling it the brand new model. We, he, he called it, he said he came to do something new. Verse consists of a new covenant. So, you know, in the Old Testament, you had animal sacrifices and these rules and so forth. 
Jesus is going to come and do away with all that. He's going to die for us. No more sacrifices. And by believing in that, you can get connected with God. New covenant. New agreement. New command. There's lots of commands in the Old Testament. I'm going to simplify. We're going to make it uh, one command priority over all the other commands. It's love God and love one another, including your enemies. And so that affects the new ethic. That's how we deal, we think, our attitudes, the way we treat people is by this ethic. Love God and love other people. So I started this new movement we call the church. Now, the problem with the word church is, as we've looked at, it's a bad translation of a Greek word. The Greek word is ekklesia, and I don't like to use a lot of Greek, so you don't have to remember that. It just means that it's about a gathering or group of people. All right? That's the word means. It doesn't mean a building. We think church, we think building. No. It means gatherings of people, groups of people. And so this is this new movement. Now, this Jesus model is a lot less complicated, I guess you can see that, from the temple model, right? Just one command? That, that's, that's certainly a lot less complicated. And in fact, God doesn't, God's not in a building someplace here. God's in each one of us that are Jesus' followers. So he inhabits people. He's not restricted to any kind of location. But, much less complicated, but... Far more demanding, right? Because we like the temple model because we got kind of a line we can draw. You know, I can go to church and be good with God and then, you know, a week or two come back and everything's fine and, you know, I might throw some money in the offering plate, whatever. So I have these, these, these certain guidelines, again, keep God from zapping me, keep God happy with me, and then I kind of go on my life the way I want. So we have these get-arounds, these loopholes and so forth. But Jesus said it this way. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way as I have loved you. Now that's really complicated, right? You need some person up front to tell you what that means? Like me? No, that's not, that's not complicated at all. How did God love you? He loved you enough to die for you. So, go and do, we're going to look at that in a minute. Go and do that for everybody else. See, it gets rid of all the excuses, doesn't it? That's why it's so much more demanding. There's no loopholes. There's no getting around that. And we've said the best way to deal with that command is to ask yourself this question, what does love require of me in whatever situation you are, in your family, uh, at work, school, neighborhood, uh, wherever you might be. That's the overarching question. As we said, 90-some plus percent of the time, we know the answer to that, don't we? It's not complicated. Now you might say, well, I'm not a Bible scholar. I've never read the Bible, which I think is kind of strange. If you say, I believe the Bible, you ought to at least read it once, right? But anyway, you're not a Bible scholar. But the New Testament, the early Christians weren't. They didn't even have a Bible. Now, early Christianity was based on two, basically two things. Uh, that Jesus, a risen Lord, risen Savior, Jesus, which consequently meant they didn't fear death. If, you're, if your leader conquered death, then you don't need to be afraid of death. And so they went out and, and lived fearless lives. And many of them were executed, persecuted, executed. They would take care of the sick because they weren't worried about dying. And back then they didn't know what diseases, so they <laughs> were, were transmittable, so they would just kind of let sick people go get well or die on their own. 
they took care of children, especially female children, because they had no value in their, in their culture back then. And uh, so it was based on no fear and one anothering one another, no matter who they are. Mostly the outcasts of society, the sick, the children, etc. And it got off to this tremendous start, even in the midst of those limitations or difficulties. And we talked about a few weeks ago that about 300 years later, something uh, traumatic happened. Christianity went from being this persecuted minority to becoming a majority. The emperor got become a Jesus follower, and he made the emperor of Rome, and he made Christianity legal, and so they began to exercise temple brand authority. And they didn't mean to. The, the, the emperor, Constantine, he, he started make, paying for buildings to be built, church buildings. They thought, which is a good thing. It's nice to have a building, right? They put the scriptures together, which is a good thing. It's the Bible, so we have it today. But then that became an authority. And, uh, you know, priest and pope and all those other uh, officials became became authorities. And so this, the temple model became a big part of Christianity starting back in the 300s. And then we said about 500 years ago, about 1,000 years from, or 1,100 years later, something else tr- pretty traumatic happened. We call it the, the Reformation or the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the church got pretty corrupt and some people like Martin Luther started looking at the Bible and looking at what the church said and they, weren't, they didn't seem to match. And he said, okay, we're going to Follow what the Bible says. It's called sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. That's going to be our authority, authority with scripture alone. And that sounds good, and it, and it is good in some respects, but what happened is um, everybody started interpreting the Bible for themselves. And the problem with that is we believe the Bible is equally inspired. So the first word, the last word, it's equally inspired. God gave it to us. But it's not equally applicable. And some of my kids are here. Uh, when they were growing up, my wife would say, say to them, you should be glad we don't live in Old Testament time because you just disrespected me and we should take you out and stone you. <laughs> she actually said that to our kids. So we don't usually apply that one. Don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you eat pork and selfish? It's in there, right? So we all do this, right? It's not equally applicable. The problem is, this group decided this was more important, and this group decided this is more important, and this group decided this is more important, and this group decided this is more important, and that's why we get all these different denominations. And it wasn't an argument over, should we love one another? That was pretty obvious. You can't read the Bible and miss that one. But it's just using the Bible, we can put it on the screen. The Bible became a bat. Do you ever beat somebody over the head with some scripture verse? da 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 if not, you've probably had somebody else do that to you, right? You shouldn't be doing that. The Bible says, you know, pointing their finger, whatever. The Bible became a bat, and the downside of that is love lost. When you start beating people over their head, that's not very loving, is it? Now, I believe we should change that, or try and change that. It'd be worth trying to change that, right? Trying to get the church back to the way Jesus meant the church to be. In fact, the early church was almost irresistible. The modern church is pretty irresistible. We've all invited people to come to church. I'm not going to church. I, church is a bunch of hypocrites, whatever. It really is irresistible, isn't it? But the early church, when you love like that, it's, it's hard to resist. 
So, as I said, we're going to talk about five applications of this Jesus model. And areas or terminology that we use that we've kind of let the temple model creep in. All right? Like I said, we're going to get done on time. (laughs) I'll talk fast. All right, concept number one. This is the brand new model, is structure. The church is to be a body, not a kingdom. Now, this is fascinating. Jesus, when he was on trial with Pilate, Pilate said, hey, you... Are you king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes, I am, but my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate, you don't have to worry. If I, it was of this world, my followers would come and take you out. He didn't actually say that, but uh, that's what he meant. So Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So it's not about an earthly kingdom. So what is the church to be? Well, Paul comes along and he's mostly talking to people that aren't Jewish background. And he uses this terminology that the church is to be a body. And he also says we're supposed to be representatives. He uses the word ambassadors. We understand ambassador, right? Uh, we send an ambassador to England or, or Germany or to Russia or Soviet Union, whatever. And uh, they're Americans living in another place and they're representing America, right? United States. Well, our kingdom, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, so if you're a Jesus follower, your kingdom's not of this world. You are, our kingdom is of otherworldly, so we are representatives, ambassadors for the kingdom. And so Paul said it this way about the body, you're all together a Christ body. All together a Christ body. Each of you is a part of it. All right? So each of you. Now, see, the temple model is based on consume. You know, I come to church, I got baptized, I come and observe the Lord's Supper, I come and get what I can. You ever leave a church service and say, I didn't get anything out of it? That's temple model thinking. It's about consuming. It's about, and we talked about it's not about you, it's about the you beside you. So temple model is about consuming. Jesus' model is about engaging, interacting, engaging. You ever said this? Ever done this? Heard somebody say this? Oh, I can stay home and worship God. That's temple model thinking. That's not Jesus' model. That's not body thinking body. You can't stay home and be part of the body. So why would you cheat yourself of being part of the body? Why would you cheat others of being part of the body? What do you think about an amputated body part? Pretty gross, right? So why be gross? Why be an amputated body part? Why stay home? Jesus said, engage, engage, engage. It's about a body, being part. That's why we say it's better to be in circles rather than rows. Because unfortunately, when we do this thing we do on Sunday morning, it's a lot about consumption, isn't it? You sit there and we sing to you and some of you sing along. And I talk for a half hour or so and you listen. Gotta engage. We do some engaging before the service and after the service. So you need to be in a small group. You need to be in a ministry group. You need to be rubbing shoulders with other Jesus followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad that you're here and you can rub shoulders. We're glad to rub shoulders with you, with you too. So, not a kingdom, but a body. Second concept, authority. Authority is to be exercised for the benefit of the led, not the leaders. We said Jesus turned the the leadership paradigm completely upside down. And, uh, well, even as the followers, the 12 disciples, 
Near the end of Jesus' ministry, they're arguing among themselves, which one of us is going to sit on Jesus' right and Jesus' left? Because he's going to establish a kingdom. And it's kind of like a, like a pyramid, right? And so Jesus is going to be the top, and if I'm on the right or left, I'm kind of like in the next row down, and everybody else is below me. So we want to be as high up as a pyramid as we can get. So Jesus kind of hears some arguing, and he inserts himself in the conversation. Here's what he says. <clears throat> you know... It's talking to disciples. That the rulers in this world lord it over the people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's exactly right. That's why we want to be on your right and want to be on your left. You know, at least all 12 of us will be under you and that everybody else will be under us. That's what we want. That sounds great. Didn't like what the next thing Jesus said. But among you it's going to be different. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus, we've been following you all three, 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 three plus years so we can get up there. Mm, sorry. But with you, it's going to be different. Whoever, and they really didn't like what he said next. <laughs> Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Servant? You mean I'm supposed to serve other people? Then he really... Um, Hit them hard with this one. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Slave means bought property. No rights whatsoever. So I'm going to lead. I'm going to have no rights whatsoever. I'm going to be at the bottom. I got to be learned to be under everybody else. And just to kind of reinforce this, last night he's with the disciples. disciples we call it the Last Supper. What's Jesus do? Takes his outer, outer garment off, wraps a towel around his waist, and he goes from one disciple to another and washes their stinking feet. As we said, it's something none of them would have done for each other. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that was? I, I'm sure they couldn't even look Jesus in the eye to eye. They probably had their head turned or down. And so after he finished doing that, and, they, and they, they, there was some pushback. They were uncomfortable with it. He says, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than the master. Who's the master? Jesus. What did he just do? Wash their feet. If Jesus can wash our feet, <laughs> there's nothing we shouldn't be able to do. So anytime you feel like you're a big shot, anytime you think you have the right to, this is not just in church, this means in anywhere, to Lord your authority and force your authority on somebody else. It just means you need to wash more feet. Symbolically. Again, what happened? Disciples got it. Early church got it. And he did this. And the others would say, why are you doing this? Why are you taking care of the sick? Why are you taking care of the children? Because we serve a master. They loved us enough to die for us, and he instructed us to do this. That's what we're doing. Now, this next topic, we can't really grasp the emotion involved in uh, this topic from, from their culture. Um, it's about marriage, or those of you who are in, in, in intimate relationships. And back then, 
The men were here and the women were down here someplace. The men were closer to God. The women were somewhere between men and animals. Somewhere down in here. Kind of property. They were just kind of owned. Um, and Jesus came along with something new. And again, we can't comprehend the emotional <laughs> impact of his teaching about marriage. <clears throat> marriage is to be characterized by mutual care and submission, not male domination. And here's the interesting thing is, Jesus didn't say, hey, I want to talk to you about marriage. Some guys came to Jesus and said, hey, we know what Moses teaches about marriage, you know, we get, you know, our wife gets fat or she gets ugly or we just get tired of her, she starts acting crazy, we can just write, to, uh, write a divorce and move on to the next one. What do you have to say about that, Jesus? Now, I'm not going to read you what Jesus said, but um, I don't think they really wanted to know what Jesus thought. <laughs> but he tells them, and the interesting thing is it's so extreme, I'm going to read you the response of the disciples after Jesus gave them his little teaching on marriage. Here it is. They said to him, if this is the case, I think it's just better to not get married. <laughs> we'll just stay single. That's how extreme it came across. It's no longer about ownership. It's about partnership with these women down here. They're supposed to be up here with us. And Paul later, he did a teaching about it. Again, he was talking to not a Jewish audience, but a, a Gentile audience. And... Um, <clears throat> well, let me just stop here a second. You realize not all the Bible is written to all of you. you know, there's parts written to, like, preacher types like me, and people in leadership. There's parts written to older women, uh, instructions for them, and younger women, older men, and younger men. And there's parts written to husbands and wives. And the thing that just... Uh, some of you have heard me say this. The thing that really bugs me is when men come into counseling, what's the verse they like to quote to me? Why? My wife's supposed to be submissive to me. It's right, it's right there in the book. And my response is, uh, who's that written to? How's that verse start? Wives. All right, so are you a wife? All right, so you, you can eliminate that from your Bible. In your wife's Bible, not in your Bible. But the big deal is they missed that the verse right before that. How does that passage on marriage begin? Well, let's look at what it says. Paul's writing it to instructions about marriage. He says, submit, he's talking to husbands and wives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. You're supposed to one another, one another. That includes your spouse, right? And the reason we do that is for reverence for Christ. Now, they might not necessarily deserve it, but out of reverence for Christ. And then it says, why be submissive to your husbands? And then, I always tell guys, we get the harder part. You, you, you got all your energy, focus all your energy on your part. You're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church and died for it. So wives, you just got to be submissive. Guys, we got to die. That's the instruction. So Christian marriage is, and I really like this, a submission competition. Because I'm a guy, and most of us guys are competitive, right? We want to win. So we're going to win at this marriage thing. The way to do that is to defer. Defer. 
So we're going to want to one-up our spouse by deferring, meaning I want to do what you want. And she might say, well, I'm going to do what you want. No, 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 no. I'm going to win this. <laughs> I'm going to do what you want. But we did what I wanted last time. That's all right. I want a twofer. I want to, you know, defer twice. So, when I'm not worthy of submitting to, which unfortunately happens sometimes, my wife chooses to say, I'm going to submit anyway because out of reverence for Christ. Now, it's never happened in 40 years of marriage, but if it did... And my wife wasn't worthy of submitting to, I would submit to her out of reverence for Christ. Now, again, we've got to get finished this morning. So give you a heads up. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about marriage or committed relationships. We're going to call the series I Marriage. So hopefully you can join us, be with us all the next three weeks and we're going to talk more about marriage. Moving on, we've got two more. Another concept that we get wrong in the temple model as opposed to the Jesus model is spirituality. Spirituality is determined how, by how well one loves, not how much one knows. Now there's this passage Paul is writing, he's talking about being full of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, The Holy Spirit is insight, knowledge, and understanding of the deeper things of faith and ability to make people hang on every word. That's what it says, right? Come on, is that what it says? No, no, no. That's, that's in the Alan Youngbar version of the Bible. No. <laughs> That's not in there. But isn't that what we think? If I was to ask you, who are the most spiritual people you know? You'd probably think of somebody, you know, Billy Graham or somebody that, that uh, really knows a lot, right? Hopefully you don't point to me, but anyway. Somebody that knows a lot. Yeah, they're really spiritual. They really know a lot. Now, maybe they, they probably do. They're well prepared, but it does not mean they're spiritual. And sometimes we see these, what we think great men have Moral failures. We realize they weren't as spiritual as we thought. But anyway, let's read the text the way it's supposed to read. <laughs> the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now the fascinating thing about that list, is it vertical? Not vertical, is it? Talked about this last week. All Horizontal. It's about being sacrificial. It's about the cross-culture. It's about being unnatural. I hate to bring this up because it's come up in the news, but Hitler divided the world in half and he never shot a gun. Just had one of these. Right? So the most spiritual person you know might be the most quiet person you know. We've got to re- redefine this whole spirituality thing. And it goes into the last point here. Uh, a new lo- way of looking at holiness. <clears throat> holiness is about being a part of rather than being setting apart from. So we like to have things like Christian yoga and Christian softball and Christian basketball and Christian aerobics, Christian this. And it, it, it makes sense. It's nice to hang out with other Christians and do stuff. And that's okay sometime. But where does this idea of separate come from? Well, it comes from the Old Testament. God called the Jews to be his chosen people, and he said, I want you to be separate. You're going to worship Yahweh, the one true God. You're not going to worship all these false gods. You're going to dress differently. You're going to act differently. You're going to eat differently. And don't, you know, don't marry. Don't intermarry because you're going to uh, pollute the, the, the purity or the holiness of, of, of uh, God followers. But Jesus comes along, 
And Jesus said we're going to do it in something new, something different. And the best example is when John's writing his gospel, he doesn't start off with all the Jesus narrative. That's not even in there, birth of Jesus. And in the first chapter, I just want you to read a verse. The greatest example of holiness is not going to be being set apart anymore is this. It's in, first, it's in John chapter 1. So the word, meaning Jesus, became human, stinking human flesh. Hard for us to comprehend. A holy God coming into one of these things we call body. And made his home or his dwelling among us. Did Jesus separate himself? He's just the opposite. He just freaked out the religious people. He would go around touching sick people and what they would consider unholy people. And they would say that would make him unholy. But he's supposed to be the son of God, this holiest person on earth. So here's the difference. Yeah, in the past, if, if you're holy and you touch something unholy, you become unholy. Now it's completely different. If I'm holy and touch the unholy, I make the unholy holy. So we're not supposed to be set apart. We're not supposed to be here in our little holy huddles. I mean, sometimes, but not exclusively. We're supposed to be rubbing shoulders. We're supposed to be touching the unholy. If you're a Jesus follower. That's the model he gave us. And it's interesting, the disciples, they wanted to start this kingdom thing in Jerusalem, right? We're going to start this church in Jerusalem, and we're going to be the head of it, and this is going to be the center of it. And what did Jesus say to him? We've looked at this verse before, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go everywhere, touch everybody. But they're not like us, exactly. That's why I want you to go. Interact with them. And the wonderful example of this is in Luke's gospel, he tells us this. When Jesus died, well, let me back up a little bit. To the Jews, they had this temple, this holy place. And in the temple, in the back part of the temple, was this smaller place called the Holy of Holies. And that was where God was, or they believed God was. And it was separated by this thick curtain. And the high priest got to go in there once a year, and they tied a rope to his, to his foot, in case he died while he was in there, they could pull him back out because nobody else could go in there. So when Jesus dies on the cross, this, this amazing thing happens. This thick curtain rips in two. God says, I'm no longer going to hide behind that curtain. I'm no longer going to be separate. I'm going to be out among you. It was Jesus coming out party. God's coming out party, so to speak. So, let's finish up here. Holy people have dirty hands. Dirty is the new holy. So here this morning... Us folks up front aren't necessarily the holiest people here. You know who I think the holiest people are? We've got a lot of babies running around here. They're not really running around. They're not even running around yet. Around here. It's the folks back there changing your baby's dirty diapers. That's the dirtiest hands this morning, right? And when we clean the church, some of you clean the church in your small group. Uh, I don't clean the bathrooms. My wife cleans the bathrooms. She's probably the holiest person I know. All right? Dirty is the new holy. So never confuse giftedness with holiness. We have gifted musicians. Hopefully I'm a gifted teacher. Many of you may be holier than we are. Jesus, the most holy person to ever live, covered himself with our sin. So imagine. Can we imagine if we could get this Jesus model thing right? It's not about authority. It's not about... Uh, making our wives be, be submissive to us. It's not different a concept of holiness and spirituality. 2,000 years ago, it turned the world upside down. 
I think it's worth trying. I think it's worth trying to get right. And anytime we feel selfish, anytime we want to feel like we need to get back to that temple model, remind us of that question, what does love require of me? And you know the answer. Maybe Christianity, maybe the church could become irresistible once again. That's my challenge to you. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for this model, Jesus, that you've given us. It's so different, so radical, but so much better. We thank you for it. And I want to pray for anyone here that's not a Jesus follower. We're so glad they're here checking us out. I want to give you the opportunity to step across that line and join this Jesus movement. It's just a matter of, of, of desire and request. Say, yes. <laughs> yes, Jesus. I want to be one of your followers. And your life will be changed forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us. In your name we pray. Amen.